This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Thursday, May 5th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Homelessness is up in recent years after a long, slow decline. So how have we addressed it in the past? What cities have had the most notable successes? Mary Thoreau is host of the documentary Beyond Homeless. In it, she details the hows and whys of San Antonio's success in addressing homelessness and how it can be replicated. How has the U.S., broadly speaking, in a sentence or two, addressed homelessness in the United States? Very badly. Um, no, but what has the strategy been? So several years ago, uh, federal policy switched from shelters and transitional programming for homeless individuals to a, a concept called housing first. And the theory is based on, well, people are homeless, so they need a home. So if we give them a home, they won't be homeless anymore. Housing first, uh, therefore, is providing every homeless individual with what's called permanent supportive housing. The problem with that is you're essentially warehousing people with the problems that drove them into homelessness in the first place. It's morally very suspect that uh, you think someone is not capable of movement beyond their current status. And it's uh, also very inefficient because the government building permanent supportive housing costs $500,000 up to $900,000 per unit. So very little of it is actually produced. Very few people are moved into housing, and they've turned the streets into the waiting room for that housing. And that's why there's so many more people in the streets, because they shut down shelters to shift towards this permanent supportive housing model. All right. So what uh, what was so bad about transition transitioning people from homelessness to uh, being housed versus this other uh, method? Transitional housing got kind of a bad rap for a couple of reasons. One is many of the programs were uh, time-limited. So even if you weren't ready to move on at the end of the time limit, you were essentially forced out with without necessarily someplace to go. Um, also, many of them had requirements for uh, sobriety and being in programming, which is a good thing, except they could be quite draconian, that if you just fell off the wagon once, you were kicked out. Um, so it got a bad rap. The way transitional is done now is much different. It's open-ended, and most programs are very, uh, they will work with the individuals such that if you're having problems, you know, regroup, start over, address the problems again. Um, but it's again, it's just it's not in vogue and it's not being funded, um, except on a very small level in some places. But most places, because of the federal shift in policy, have gone completely to the housing first model. Okay, I could expect that a transitional model could be from the perspective of a homeless person who wants housing, and that's an important distinction to make because a lot of homeless people don't want housing. And uh, so I can imagine that housing first is something that uh, that is to say a permanent support of housing might be preferable in the sense that there is uh, security, there are no time limits, that sort of thing. And your expectations about the likelihood of being able to maintain housing would be continued. I mean, that's that's certainly that has to be one of the arguments that's made for. Uh, on yeah, of and it's programs. it's a great theory, um, and it's called also called housing first because the theory is that you're going to get services second. 
Um, the problem is the housing is so expensive, there aren't services. The other thing is that there's very little of the permanent supportive housing, so very few people get it. Um, again, if they get it and there aren't services, then they have exactly the problems that they had that put them into homelessness in the first place, and they often just end up falling out of their housing. Or if you're somebody, you're trying to get your life together, and you're in one of these uh, developments, and your next-door neighbor is still using and very messed up, it really derails your pathway. Um, I talked to one San Francisco police captain. The police and the fire department get called out to these units a lot because you've got people in psychosis, you've got people setting fires to their units, and so on. And she termed these developments as places where the homeless go to die more slowly. Um, and in some studies, there's a Harvard study that shows people who are housed actually die faster than people who stay in the street. Um, so it's not working out as a good solution. It sounds great, but in practice, it's it's not working. What has San Antonio done? San Antonio is amazing. It's a it's a de very Tocquevillean uh, solution. Um, in 2005, an oil man was watching a news program about homelessness and became very concerned about the issue and wanted to do something to help. So he called the mayor, whose uh, election he'd actually opposed, the next day, and he said, I saw this program, and I'm very concerned about homelessness, and I heard your talk last week about uh, wanting to do something about homelessness. Are you serious? And the mayor said, yes, I am. The oil man said, well, I want to help. So the mayor immediately said, great, you're the chairman of the task force. So they started a task force, and it was community activists, uh, representatives from every sector of the community, uh, representatives for the, for the homeless, police, fire, EMS, every nonprofit in the city that works with the homeless was involved. They spent two years studying different programs around the country and developed a strategy. What will it take for our community to come together and serve the needs of people experiencing homelessness to transform their lives into their full potentials. And they built a campus right next to downtown. It's 22 acres. It was a former warehouse area. The oil man raised the funds privately to build it, and the city bought the land. Uh, the main part of it is called a transformational campus, and people, it's very safe. Uh, it serves everybody, every sector of the homeless community, LGBTQ, uh, youth, veterans, families, single people, and so on. And it's highly, highly individualized. Again, every nonprofit serving the homeless provides services there. So for everybody who comes in, they say, well, what happened to you and what do you need? And they uh, they create a very individualized program to overcome the specific needs of that individual. Extremely effective. Um, they've been operating 10 years. It's also extremely cost-effective uh, and just an amazing, amazing place. And then it also has a low-barrier component, um, safe sleeping site where people, if you, know, you don't have to be clean and sober. You can be drunk. You can be stoned. But it's a safe place to sleep, not in the street. And you can get hot meals, showers, mail service, medical, mental, and so on. And they've dramatically decreased unsheltered homelessness in San Antonio by 77% since they opened, um, and countywide down by 11%. How does it change the expectations 
with respect for the individual homeless people. The community knows that there are services available for homeless people. So in places like San Francisco, people largely have kind of thrown up their hands like it's been going on for so long and it just keeps getting worse. And there's nothing I as an individual can do to help it. And, you know, it's just hopeless. San Antonio now knows the whole community is aware of this and they're aware that there are services available. And so they're not uh, dismissive of someone who needs help. They can give them, <laughs> literally, if you need, just want a place to sleep, here, let's give you a ride here. Or if you want to transform your lives, here, come on into the transformational campus. And it's really, it's a virtuous circle. Um, I spent a week in San Antonio filming our documentary, and um, I've actually visited Haven several times. And it's just a vibrant community. Again, very Tocquevillian uh, excitement. I was there last year, right before that big freeze that Texas got, and they put out on the news that Haven was going to be opening up to anybody who needed shelter, but they were going to need sleeping bags and warm coats and socks. And I just watched a line of cars driving up and unloading new sleeping bags, new coats, new socks, and so on. And it was just a, a, a wonderful example of a community coming together to serve each other's needs and not saying, oh, well, you know, the government's going to take care of those poor people. You know, it's we're taking care of each other. As with any program where you're attempting to solve a problem, it can work over here and it might not work over here. Right. And scale is a huge consideration right. that, that these, you know, in, in San Antonio, maybe the people are just better. Uh, so what, what can other cities take away from that experience? Well, it's true that there is a cultural factor. I grew up in Wichita, Kansas, and it's, at the time, it was a very sort of similar thing where people would be very involved in the community and solving community problems. And it's true that that's an attitude that's more pervasive in a place like uh, San Antonio than perhaps in San Francisco. But in San Francisco, there's a new coalition that formed about three years ago called Urban Vision Alliance. And it's currently 33 for-profit and non-profit organizations that have come together to resolve the homelessness problem in the face of government continuing to fail to do it. And it's, again, it's, it's very much like a haven model where all of these groups are coming together, including service providers, architects, land use attorneys, and so on, to holistically address the problem in San Francisco. And two years ago, when we started talking to people about it, very dismissive, oh no, we only want permits supportive housing. Today, there's a real openness to it, and we're getting inclusiveness from people in City Hall and other agencies who recognize that we need a different solution, and people are getting very excited about it. So I'm very optimistic that we can get pull this together. Uh, we're working with the Salvation Army, which is the largest nonprofit landowner in San Francisco, to redevelop its properties. It won't be one campus, but it'll be five properties with 1,500 beds to, again, transformationally take people from the street to uh, their full potential. In California, of course, the problems related to homelessness, um, a lot of them are driven by state-level policy. Oh, yeah. And um, in particular, housing. Right. 
So um, it, it seems that the, the problems perhaps in California are more immediate than they are in other states, but other states have some of the same policies that California does. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a case of as California goes, so the nation, um, California kind of led the way in these restrictive housing policies, but a lot of places now are doing it. In California, it's virtually impossible to build anything. You don't have a legal right to build anything on your property, and anybody, literally anybody, can stop you for any reason under our this well-intentioned California Environmental Quality Act. Uh, anybody can bring an objection that, you know, adding a child to a public school is an environmental impact, for an example. And some people just do it because they don't want more traffic in their community, and others use it literally as extortion. Um, they can use it literally as money extortion of give me money and I'll withdraw my uh, objection. Or a union can say, well, this needs to be a union project. And until it is, uh, I'll stand in your way. So yes, it's a housing problem very much. It's driving it. Um, but housing alone won't solve it. But you can't. It's a catch-22. You have to solve the housing crisis in order to solve homelessness, but solving the housing crisis alone won't solve homelessness because you have to help the people who are homeless, again, transform. Mary Thoreau is host of the documentary Beyond Homeless. We spoke last month in Las Vegas. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>